Um, I think we could be on Hebrews for the rest of our lives. But uh, <laughs> we will start with a word of prayer. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given us. Thank you that we could be here in your house together and that we could come to your word. Thank you for the opportunity once again to allow your word to speak to us, quicken us, and change us. We just pray that our hearts will bow at your word this morning and that it will minister to us what we are in need of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I gave you a um, paper that has... Yeah, that's the one I'm looking at. I have that too. That has some... Um, there's some comments from various sources um, about the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews uh, just is so rich that, you know, people have said some pretty interesting uh, things about the, the book of Hebrews. And my favorite one, I guess, which I had written in my old Bible was this, that there are several wonderful doctrines found in Hebrews, but in reading the book and studying the truths, it should be remembered the author had a practical, not theoretical or primarily theological purpose to encourage wavering Hebrew Christians to endure unto the end to realize the reward is indeed worth it all. So we must remember, now we just finished the book of Acts where Paul was imprisoned and um, we had that the conflict in his in the religious world was whether whether to or not to continue the sacrifices and the, all of the traditions that they had been so accustomed to and grown up in and been taught they had been taught to come and make sacrifices and to keep the holy days and all you know all of this stuff now now they're trying to sort it all out. Um, what are we supposed to still do and still not do? Well, I'm sure there was the question. We don't really have that in the word, but I guess they, I think they just continued to keep the feasts. You know, for the Feast of Pentecost, Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem, and and so. But there was, I'm sure, there were question marks around a lot of things that there hadn't been before, because some of them completely understood that Jesus was the sacrifice for sins, and they didn't have to make sacrifices anymore. So which parts do you throw out and which parts do you hold on to? I'm sure it wasn't as easy as we think it should have been for them. We look back and we say, oh, well, you know, that, that clearly Jesus was the fulfillment. So, you know, but when you are in it, it's different, isn't it? It's like it's been for all of us in the process of our own life and many of us coming through um, you know, strict religious orders that, you know, had their rules and regulations, you know, and then coming out of that where the Lord sets us free and we see that it's not about the do's and the don'ts, there's, it's not as cut and dry and black and white and easy to always get as, you know, in retrospect, we can look back and go, oh, well, that's a no-brainer, but it's, it's not like that when we're walking through it. And so I think that that will help us to have a little compassion for the um, believers of that day, especially those who were the leaders, the religious leaders. Now, we have to remember, in Acts, it told us in different places that many of them believed. Even in the book of John, which we did prior to that, there were places where it told us that many of them did believe. So I'm sure it was for the ones who, who already believed the scriptures they had now they, they are the ones that are wrestling with which parts are 
um, we to do away with? And what are, are we? How are we to walk in this? And Right. We go to Jerusalem at this time and we do this, and they never really understood sure. why they did it, and so that might be why they had trouble sure. separating, you know, sure. they had Absolutely. And then another part of it too, Nancy, was that um, we have the whole thing where now there's not only Jews in the mix, but now um, all the Gentiles, so many Gentiles are being converted and believing in Jesus, and they don't have a clue about the religious um, feasts and, and procedures and kosher food and, and, and all, all of the, you know, the, the, the food laws and all of those things. So it's really, really... Uh, for them in their world, it's a huge, it's a huge issue, much more than we totally comprehend. So that helps us a little. So we understand the backdrop a little. Um, on the green page that I gave you, um, I have some important questions, which we always like to ask when we start a book. Who wrote it? <laughs> and I know there's a huge um, debate, and there's you know all different sort of um, different fields of thought in this area but personally I believe Paul wrote it and um, it really doesn't matter the Holy Spirit wrote it and gave it to us and um, it does say that but but they don't really know for sure who who wrote it um, it was pro I believe it was written by Paul um, maybe penned by, by someone else, by Luke or, or somebody else, um, but I, I do believe it was written by Paul. And to whom was it written? It was written to wavering Christian, Hebrew Christians, wavering Hebrew Christians who were struggling, in the struggle. And why was it written? Well, we've answered that a little bit already, to clarify some things, to clear some things up. Paul was the scholar who understood, certainly he had grown up and he, he understood um, probably better than anyone um, co comprehended. He, was, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, so he had the knowledge to write this, this kind of a book. And um, when was it written? I, I have that. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry. But anyway... Uh, Yes, right. Okay, before the destruction of Rome. Okay, Jerusalem. Right before seventy, before seventy A.D. Right. Okay. So those are the things we want to consider. Then, as we go through, um, you know, I don't know how much you want to get into it. I. It's hard to go through Hebrews superficially because it's there's there's so much there. But we're going to look at the warnings. There's five warnings. That's kind of the outline we're going to use. Um, of course, we want to always kind of give ourselves awareness about the Old Testament references because, as we know, the Old and the New Testaments, they hang together. The New is in the Old concealed. The Old is in the New revealed. Okay? So this is the book where it certainly is very, very important that we understand the connections. Um, we're going to come to the place the, when we come to the place where it talks about these ten times I think we'll stop and we'll look at what are those ten times what's he talking about and I think that's worth the time and effort and also when we get to um, the Levitical priesthood we'll probably take a little time to look into that a little bit um, 
from the Old Testament. So just to increase our understanding so that we, um, we, we just understand what, what he's talking about. Otherwise, we lose some of, some of the pieces. And the word studies that I would encourage you to do would be um, the word better. And then um, the two words, lettuce. They say that there's a lettuce salad in Hebrews, and it's an old joke and poor joke, but anyway, the lettuce, lettuce, what it tells us to do. Partakers, what are we partakers of? And then perfect and perfection, they're not mentioned many times, but you can, we can take note of those. I would like to add to that list, we have, what we have, the two words we have. There's... Um, quite a few references to those two words we have and we will see what we have <laughs> okay and um, then I gave you a little bit of an outline just um, as a point of reference um, I'm not going to rush through the book of Hebrews we're not going to probably just do um, a chapter or a week I mean if it turns out like that that's fine but I'm not going to I don't I'm, I'm quite sure it won't um, we're not going to push it because I think it's just so rich and there's so much we can learn and, and glean and be blessed by. So we will take our time and we will even take a week to um, go through those word studies together. So if you, um, I won't do that until a little bit further on in, in this study. So if you want to take some time, you can do it on your computer. You don't have to write it out by hand. Um, but it's, 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 it's kind of neat to see, and it's like a study all its own, to see what things we have that are better, um, what we're told to do, let us do this, or let us something, let us grasp, and what we are partakers of, and also what we have as born-again believers in the new covenant. So um, that's, that's the plan. Okay. Now, if you have, if you want to read something about the authorship of the book, I do have some reference material, um, which you're welcome to. But I didn't just want to hand it out because it's, um, you know, to, to, to everyone because it's, it's detailed and it's a little bit tedious. But if you'd like it, you're welcome, welcome to it. Alrighty then. So, let's see. Where shall we begin here? We know that the theme, one of the, the themes that we have in the book of Hebrews is uh, about faith, isn't it? Without faith, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God, right? To please God. Without faith, it is impossible. And so we are called believers and... As believers, we have to know what we believe, and we have to live in a way that reveals what we believe. And that happens whether we um, are um, actually conscious of it or not, okay? What we believe, we act on. Action. Faith is action. Faith is not just an abstract thing. Faith is, faith is action. If you believe the chair will, will hold you, you sit on it, Right? That shows that you actually believe that, that that it can hold you, okay? So I know that's a simple example, but it's really the way it, the way it works. And so the way we live out our lives as believers shows other people what it is that we truly believe. If we really believe that God is 
for us and with us in every situation. Well, as we walk through life and people see us, if we're always having panic attacks and, and out of control and losing our temper and, and there's no, no form of godliness in our life, we're not really proven to them by our actions that we are believers. So our lives have to have some elements of proof in them in order for our life to be uh, a witness and a glory to God. And so this is a huge, huge part of it. And we should never, ever say, I have no faith. Because really, if you finish that sentence, the end of that sentence is, I have no faith in God. And so we can't, we, we should never, never, ever say, I have no faith. Always, we have faith. It may be as, we may feel that it's as a grain of mustard seed, but that's okay. Faith, as Pastor um, told us not too long ago, is, is a gift given to us when, when, when we are born again. And so we all have faith. And we can't say, I don't have faith. We do. We can ask God to increase our faith. Absolutely. We can do that. But it's not about how much faith we have. It's just that we have faith. Because the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say, mustard seed is the smallest seed. So he was saying, it doesn't matter the amount. It's just that you believe, that you believe, that you really believe that he is the Son of God, who he said he is. And that you believe it with your living as well as with your head and heart. So that's important. All right, so let's start in chapter 1. Let's see how far we get. And um, if I've forgotten anything, I'll pick it up again next week and we'll figure that part out. Okay. Um, Okay. God, who at various times... I'm reading now this from the New King James. Um, I may use the message occasionally, but I I have all my notes in my old King James. And um, I'm not sure. I think the, the, the message might throw me a bit. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now, it's not finished that sentence yet, but this sentence is so loaded that we really need to take a few moments to look at it. Okay. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in the time past to the fathers by the prophets. So what he's saying here is, in the previous days, God spoke through people, through the prophets, right? And we have the writings of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, okay, Daniel. God spoke through people and that was the only that was really the only connect that and the high priest that was really the only connect um, that people had to God right okay they did not have we have grown so accustomed to we are so used to the access that we have ourselves to God. You know that you don't have to come to church and go through the pastor or somebody to get to God. You know that you have access and you all of you know that and you live in that knowledge. But the people, the the general population of people at that time, okay, they did not know that. They did not live in that access. They knew that they had to go to 
um, the high priest or to a priest to bring their sacrifice, and they did not understand that access. So what he's saying here is right from the get-go is God used to speak to us through prophets, through people, through intermediaries. But now he goes on and he says, but in these last days recently, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So now he says, not only that used to be that you had to go through somebody to hear from God, but but now he sent his own, God sent us his son who he spoke to through us and this son he's the heir he's he's God himself and he, he made the world he's he's attaching right away he's identifying who Jesus is Jesus was not just a man who God spoke through like of the prophets of old he was also God sent in human flesh. So he's, 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 he's identifying this immediately. Okay? Who being the brightness of his power, of his glory, and the express image of his person. Now he takes it a step further. And he says, not only was he God's son and the representative from heaven for us, but he was the exact replica, the exact reflection of the Father. And Jesus said that, didn't he? He said it over and over and over to his, his disciples. And when Thomas had a question in the end, well, how do we know the Father and, and what's, what's the deal here? Jesus said to him, Thomas, have I been with you so long and you don't recognize? He said, he said if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? So if we have a question about that, let's erase it. Because Jesus was the replica of the Father. And um, so he was the, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Now that takes all, all the questions out, too, about who's in control, doesn't it? Even in regards to global warming, which is becoming a bigger and bigger hullabaloo in, the, in our world. Okay? God is in control. And people have such a hard time releasing that power to God. They want to feel that something they do or don't do affects the way the world operates. Well, hello, guess what? God is in control. And we need to believe that. And we need to believe that in our gut. And we need to believe that in such a way that it affects every step we take in our living. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. All things. All things. All things. That's, you know, those are thoughts that are enough to ponder for a long, long time. For us to absorb, to us to truly believe and embrace and understand that he upholds all things by the word of his power. And... You know, we see people, we see the results of people's actions on earth, and we see the evil, and we see, but he upholds all things by the word of his power. And in the Old Testament, Daniel said, well, maybe it wasn't Daniel, but, but there's a place where it says that the heart of kings is in his hand, and he takes up, sets up one and takes down another. God is in control. It's not up to man. Thank the Lord. It's not up to man. When God's about to do something, we see that in the birth of Jesus, right? If you ever wonder about it, just look at the birth of Jesus for a couple of days. 
kings are, you know, pontificating and making decrees and doing whatever they're supposed to be doing and, and carrying on, everybody's carrying on. But what's, who's in control? God's in control. Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem because that's what the scriptures, where the scriptures said he would be born. So this guy thinks he's, he's doing this, you know, telling everybody where they're going to go and get counted. But hello. God is in control of that picture, isn't he? And even down to the protection of that child and the timing of when Joseph was to leave Bethlehem and leave and, and go here and go there, God was in control. Those, those guys all thought they were in control, but God was in control. And so this is something that we have to understand. We're laying the groundwork here, and it's, it's such a huge piece. I hate to go on, but we have to go on. <laughs> Yes, that's right. And fragile thing. If got over, right? It's not this this fear that you know, and it'll be over, and that's it. So we have a good God, and we can trust in Him. We rest in Him. We know the end of the story. We know who wins, and so that's why we don't have to fear. You know, people live in fear because our world is a fearful place, and it's getting worse every day. And But we don't need to live in fear because we have a wonderful God. And he knows how to bring to pass the things that need to be brought to pass. Even in regards to the spread of the gospel. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I don't know if people will, will um, you know. But God knows how to position people. He knows how to bring things together. Look at your own life and the way God has maneuvered people in and out of your life and you in and out of situations. And he's masterful. He's masterful at it. He's not somebody who's like, does, tries this. we'll try this over here. That, that's not how God's operating out of knowledge and wisdom and complete understanding. So in, in every, when things happen, God... And so there's no surprises to him, and he is in control. And we are in his hand, and he is for us and not against us. And so those thoughts need to permeate our whole beings until we truly embrace them and are able to walk in them. It changes the way we walk. It truly does. All right, and upholding all things by the word of his power. His word is so powerful. And our words are powerful. And we need to be reminded of this over and over again. Our words are powerful. And when we say, God, I believe you. I don't understand this situation or I'm not happy with this, that, or the other thing. But I believe you are in control of this situation. And I believe you. And I believe you. And I believe and find a scripture and stand on that scripture and speak that scripture out loud. Don't just think it in your mind, but speak it. Our words have power. The Lord's words had power, didn't they? He said, let there be light, and there was light. There was power in his word, creative power in his word. There is creative power in our words, too. Not to the same degree, perhaps, as God, but... There's power in our words. We have all heard that. As we, even if we t- tell ourselves we're no good, we're, we're, we're worthless, 
those, self, those become self-fulfilling prophecies that push us down and that beat us up and, and we, we start to live out of them. But when we tell ourselves every day, I'm a child of the king, I walk, I walk with the king today and I am his child and he's well pleased with me and he loves me. My father's love is towards me today. He loves me with an everlasting love and I'm redeemed and I'm precious in his sight. And as we speak the word over our lives, we start to walk in it. We start to embrace it. And so we need to learn how powerful our words are. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Not by what? His great strength and muscle and um, intellect. And, and it doesn't say that, does it? By the word of his power, he upholds all things. And so a lot of things in our world around us are affected by our words. And people are affected by our words. We know that. Even our dogs and cats are affected by our words. Hello. If we, if we rebuke them, what do they do? They put their head down. They put their ears down. They tuck their tail between their legs, right? They are affected by the tone of our voice, by our words. And so if that's true of, of our relationship with our animal, how much more is it true of our relationship with one another? And then also in the spiritual realm of our relationship with God and the powers that be. So we need to understand that. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hands of the majesty on high. So now it tells us that this man... This son of God, this representative from heaven, he's not only a prophet, but he's better than that. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And he himself was the sacrifice for sin. And when he had taken care of sin, now that was the thing that separated us from God. And it still is the thing in our world that separates people from God. God had no intention really of us being separated from him. He knew that's what we would choose but that was not his design. He designed man, he created man to have fellowship with man and relationship with man, right? And so um Man chose evil and broke the relationship. And so sin is what got in the way. Sin is what broke the relationship. God and sin don't mix. They can't be together. Sin had to be taken care of. And the only way for sin to be taken care of was for the Son of God to pay the price for sin, which was with his life, his blood. And so he did. He came and he purged our sins. Himself purged our sins. Now purged um, goes beyond. He didn't just cover them over, which he could have done. What's what he kind of did with Adam and Eve, didn't he? He covered it over. He gave them skins to wear and he showed them how to make a sacrifice. And he said, okay, you know, out of the garden. God bless you. You're out of the garden now and go on your way and your sin is covered. But it wasn't purged, was it? They still had the conscience of sin. And they still knew that they couldn't approach God like they did. They couldn't have that open relationship like they had had with him. That had to be a huge sorrow for them um, to have experienced walking with God in the cool of the day and having fellowship with God, talking with Him, 
Um, and then being put out of the garden and not being able to talk with God, not knowing where where'd he go? Where is he? How come I don't see him anymore? Where is that? That had to be a huge, huge difference for them. And so it's a huge piece that he purged our sins and then, only then, was he able to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So now, you know, when he came to earth, it says in the one place that he made himself a little lower than the angels because the angels don't come and live on earth with us. They, they stay in the spiritual realm for the most part. I mean, we know angels interact, can interact in our lives. I don't mean they don't. But he came and he subjected himself to all that was human. And so as a result of that, God has exalted him high above all the angels and above every living creature. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And there's the thought of resurrection in there also. Um, so um, God, God and the Son had this, have this agreement that he is the only begotten son and that he is going to purge the sins of the people that he, they've created. And when, and, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So there we see that the angels knew their place. The angels weren't superior to him, even though he came and walked on earth. When he's born, the angels of God, they all worship him, don't they? They all sing praises. Glory to God in the highest, that on earth peace, goodwill towards men. They rejoice, and, and they tell the shepherds to go into, and to worship. And it says here, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Hallelujah. All right, so that's the first better. They are being made so much better than the angels. So we see here he's placing, he's, he's giving Jesus, Jesus the place that he deserves, the honor. He's better than angels. And this is an, um, there's going to be more of these, okay, of things that he's better than. It's in here 13 times in the book of Hebrews, okay? As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, okay? He has even a more excellent name. I missed that verse, I missed that verse. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In other words, he was the son. He wasn't just another angel. He wasn't just another creature in heaven. He was the Son, the only begotten Son. And God has highly exalted him. For unto which of the angels has he said, Sit at my right hand. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Alright, so here we see, and now that we have all of these things are quotes from the Old Testament, okay? So I want you to pay attention to that, um, uh, where that comes from. Um, uh, let's see, Deuteronomy, some of that comes out of Deuteronomy. And let all the angels of God worship him comes out of Psalms. And, yes, and Psalm 45 also there. And we have the reference here to angels, um, which I don't want to jump over either. 
Um, today, we have in our world, of course, every, every, everything can be taken to excess. There's, there's people who worship angels and say you should get in touch with your angel and connect with your angel. And Okay. We know that that's not what the Bible teaches us, right? However, we know that angels exist and angels are real. And they are sent forth as ministering spirits. And I'm sure if we went around, even our small group this morning, we could all tell a story of a time where we know that God sent his angel to protect us or do something that was miraculous. And God is able to do that. And he does that. And angels are real. And so we don't. it's nothing spooky. It's nothing unusual. God, the angel just means messenger. And God can use, use a person as a as an angel but he can also send his angels from heaven we see in the birth of Jesus that the angels were sent to sing at his birth to announce his birth to um, guide Joseph through the process of his birth so you know um, that's, that, when Peter was in prison an angel came and woke him up and got him out right and, and so on and on so we all have stories that we could tell about times and places where, where God sent an angel to, into a situation and brought deliverance and we need to know that that's not out of the realm of God's possibility so I think we'll stop there for today um, because like I said I'm not going to try and, and squish things in it's too, too good a study and too much in there that we could miss so praise the Lord if you uh, like I said again if you can try and um, you know read I, I encourage you to read uh, read, read it through. Read the whole book through a few times. You read it twice. Yeah. You read it twice. Uh.